A number of years ago, I was a science writer for a magazine that covered nanotechnology. It was called Small Times. Get it? Small Times? Anyway, the magazine eventually folded. Turns out nanotech wasn't big enough to support a publication. But I kept writing about the topic in my freelance career. It became almost an obsession for me because I saw in those who promoted our nanotech future a kind of religious fervor. It was an interesting, ongoing story, and it still is. At the same time, celebrities were in the middle of their Kabbalah phase. Everybody from Madonna to Ashton Kutcher were suddenly Jewish mystics. So I wrote an article for Salon.com about how some people saw similarities between nanotech and Kabbalah. The headline was, Nanotech Angels, Kabbalah and Nanotechnology Share Unexpected Common Ground. They are testament to the incomprehensible infinite. The result was that it made nobody happy. Scientists especially trashed me in the comments. If I had to do it all over, I'd probably write it differently. Less new agey, but I still think there's something there. And fortunately, I'm not the only one. Samuel Brainerd, an independent scholar of Asian and Western religion and philosophy, has a book coming out from Penn State University Press called Reality's Few, Reconciling Worldviews in Philosophy, Religion, and Science. Sounds like he might be just as crazy as I am, taking a chance at trying to reconcile these things. So I had to talk to him. He is joining me now. Welcome to Indie Voices, Samuel. Hello, nice to be here. Well, first of all, am I thinking of this in the right way? While science and religion may be at odds over big concepts, when you break it down, it's really the same kind of quest for truth? I think it's only partially the same kind of quest, obviously in both cases, at least to the extent that we think of religion as philosophy and practice. And I think that's a point that I want to make sort of right off the bat. That's one of the places that I begin in the book, that I treat religions as philosophy and practice. So indeed, to the extent that religion is philosophy and practice and science is also interested in truth, they are indeed both quests for truth. However, they differ in their focus, uh, their interests. Science has limitations. For example, it can't explain its own underlying principles. For that, we turn to philosophy. I think the best example of that is logical positivism um, in the 20th century. We could talk maybe a little bit more about that later if you want, why um, it failed, but it was an effort to show how all meaningful philosophical questions could be resolved by science, and it, it didn't work out. So science has limitations. That's one point. The second thing is, if we think of religion as philosophy and practice, then Religion, through its side of philosophy, is dealing with aspects that science does not. It's dealing with those fundamental issues that relate to the foundation for science that science actually does not itself deal with. There's also another aspect of religion, too, is that uh, in terms of being philosophy and practice, it, it has an experiential part. It's not just science or philosophy. It's about practice. It's a, it is the practice itself. Um, it doesn't just give you a theory of joy or the universe, for example. It is itself a practice that leads you to joy. So there's that practice side of it that's very important as well in religion that you don't find in science. You might find a few scientists who disagree with you that the practice of science itself and the quest itself might give them just as much joy as, as religious practice. Well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with that, too. I, I started off in physics and mathematics, and I uh, was quite entranced by the wonder of the whole thing. So, indeed, there is that part of, of science. But science itself is a quest for truth, and how its findings are laid out, its 
primarily mathematical these days, but it's a, think of the difference, for example, between having a toothache and explaining a toothache. You can explain a toothache all you want, but it's not the same as having a toothache. Right. So it's not that uh, that one should replace the other. It's uh, they, they more they, they work hand yes, in hand. Yes. Do, do we need to go through some mental gymnastics in order to think that way, or are we even capable of doing that in these polarized times? I think, I think we can. I think there are four points to keep in mind with this. First, science is our best effort to date. This is what I feel anyway. Science is our best effort to date for uncovering universal truths about our universe and ourselves. Point, that's point number one. So obviously I'm a big fan of science. I'm a science rooter. However, science has limitations as I've already talked about. So that would be the second point. Third point, we turn to philosophy to understand what lies outside the scope of science. So that would be the third point. And then fourth, as I already mentioned, religions are philosophies in practice. So if we think of those four points, science is our best effort to date for undercovering universal truth, science has limitations, we turn to philosophy to understand what lies outside the scope of science, and religions are philosophies in practice, I think that with those four points, I think we're quite capable of thinking of science and religion as compatible. There are those many scientists who would say, well, those things that lie outside of science, those are just things that we haven't discovered yet, and eventually science will discover them. Uh, that's right, and uh, that gets back to the logical positivists <laughs> in the last century who attempted to reduce all philosophical questions to science and also show that uh, the only meaningful philosophical questions were those that could be tackled by science, and they failed. And uh, they failed for a variety of reasons, but th they boiled down to philosophical questions that have been with us for literally millennia. And they number them, one of the big ones that I've covered in the book um, has to do with the relationship of uh, universals to particulars. Another one that I bring up in the book um, that is a kind of a theme throughout the book is the relationship of the first-person view to the third-person view. So anyway, we, we have these questions that relate to the basic foundation of... Here's an example, too, for example. Science seeks to, seeks to sift through the data of experience to find what is universal, and it is, uses logic to do this. But we don't know what it is that makes something a universal. Why should a photon in our area here in, in, on Earth behave the same way as a photon in another galaxy? And why should there be rules that stay the same over time? I mean, some people would argue that they, there are such rules. Some people would argue that change is the underlying basis of the universe. Science doesn't really deal with those questions. The, the area between philosophy and science is a fuzzy one, and it's under mm -hmm. great dispute. And personally, I think the great, really great minds in science, they make their discoveries because they're knocking up against that philosophical door, trying to understand that really base, that underlying basis of science itself. So it is a fudge, fudgy area there. And surely stuff that is once philosophical becomes science. So it changes over time as well. Right, right. And what was once considered magic is now science too. Exactly. Um, yep. Let's, yep. let's back up a little bit. And why are you tackling this? Are these questions that you've been asking yourself for a long time? Do you ask yourself, what, what's the meaning of the universe as you uh, walk <laughs> down the street to get a cup of coffee? Yeah, yeah. Well, jeepers. It's been going on. I started in college as a physics and math major, and I, I, there's still major loves of my life. Life, but 
Um, I, around my sophomore year in college, I hit that kind of standard sophomore slump. What is the meaning of life? What do I want to do with my life? I mean, you have to pick mm -hmm. a major, right? And I couldn't figure out anything in life that was worth the effort necessary that would require going into doing it well. So perhaps you can think of my life as a sophomore slump that never ended. Um, right. <laughs> right, I know the feeling. Um, so, so what do you mean by reality's fugue? Reality, well, the main, one of the main themes in this book is that there's a paradox, a mystery that lies at the root, at the heart of the reality that we live in, at the nature of reality. It obstructs our efforts to understand reality and gives us different views of reality that are equally valid. And these different views can be thought of relating to each other like voices in a fugue. A fugue is a piece of music where different themes are introduced um, in the beginning sequentially and are presented in counterpoint to each other. Some people have likened it to a conversation or even an argument. And one of the points I'm making in this book is that it seems to me from all the evidence that I found that reality is not monolithic. Different views of reality can be thought of as different voices in a fugue that enter in together and play together. And what reality is, is, is like the music that all these different views of reality generate together. Right, right. A religious person might look at, at reality as, as part of a, a grand plan, whereas a scientist might take a look at quantum superposition, electrons as both particles and waves. It, it means that things are not always as they seem. Um, is this how science and religion can be reconciled? That there's more going on? This gets on. back, I think, to the mystery that we're talking about, sort of this philosophical mystery of ultimacy. And I do think they can be um, science and religion. I'm not so sure that it's science and religion can be reconciled in quite that way. I think it's the different views of reality, the different philosophical views that can be reconciled that way. And where science fits, in, fits into this picture gets back to the points that I was making earlier about science has limitations and we turn to philosophy to understand what lies outside the scope of science. So it's these different, it's these different philosophical views that can be reconciled by... What I've tried to do is take these different philosophical questions, poke at them, and see if they can be resolved to a single major philosophical question. Now, I'm sure there are other philosophical questions, but I focused on one in this book. And that's the one that seems to me to make sense out of... Um, one of the things the book does is it looks at three different religions of the world. Um, well, I take a piece of the religion. One of them comes from Hinduism, another from Buddhism, and another from Western theism. And I take a look at how those the philosophies that support those various different religious traditions might be reconciled. So, and they can be reconciled in terms of different approaches to a common mystery of ultimacy. That makes sense to you? Is that yes, seem? yes. Where we get into danger, though, is, is when one uh, way of looking at the universe tries to convince another way of looking at the universe, uh, where, where we try to force our opinions on, on other people. Exactly. When we're talking about, exactly. we're all looking at, at the same thing, really, which is viewing it uh, from a different philosophical point of view. Right, yes. I, no, I agree completely with that. I, the, the dangers in religions are all these onlys. Our, my path is the only path sort of thing. And I, I, can, I can understand that to some extent because if, if it is a mystery and it's hard to understand and you don't see the end point, all you have 
to go by is um, your particular frame of reference. But um, on the other hand, you know, each of us, you, I, other people we meet are different points of view, different frames of reference, and we can learn to get along with each other, even people with different points of view, although sometimes you wonder about that with a different political, current political situation. But anyway, we can do that. We have done it before. And the fact that we can grow beyond ourselves and encompass other points of view besides our own, I think, demonstrates that religions could do the same thing if they thought of themselves also as points of view. Well, let, let me quote from your book. Uh, you write, Each religion lays out a path toward wholeness, a way of embracing that piece of the philosophical puzzle that is obscured by the religion's own philosophical beginning and that is responsible for reality appearing mysterious in some way. So is this another way of saying each religion does not necessarily contain a piece of the truth, but a piece of what's missing? My main point was that, that one didn't need to go beyond one's own religion to grasp reality as more than just one's own experience of it. Religions have, religions to me, historic, the main historical re religions, the world religions, like Buddhism, Hinduism, and and theism, Western theism, monotheism, um, have all developed ways of sort of transcending um, the conceptions of reality that, uh, that pertain to this world around us. It doesn't mean they abandon reason. It's just that they acknowledge that there's something more going on. Now, I want to do a little caveat with this because it goes back to something that we were just talking about a moment ago. This is only as long as we don't think of it as the uh, our particular view of reality is the only view of reality. It only works if you accept that there's something that other points of view are possibly equally valid. I'll give you an example of that in the Western traditions because a lot of people just don't know about one of these sort of aspects of Western mysticism. There are, it's frequently broken down into two phases, a cataphatic phase and an apophatic phase. Those are sort of fancy words. Cataphatic phase means that uh, you understand the metaphysics of your particular view of reality and all the properties, you, you grasp it as well as you possibly can with all its properties. For example, you want to learn all the properties of God, if, if that's what you're trying to do, and this kind of thing. The apophatic phase is a sort of g denial of that. You go against it. You say, no, it is not that. It is not this property. It's not that property. In, and you do that in order to transcend that sort of conception that you have of it. Think of it a little bit like a Zen koan, where you're using, you're using a little riddle or something to go beyond that, whatever those particular words mean. And you have those kinds of things also in uh, the mystical traditions of Western religions. Right, right. Well, I'm thinking uh, particularly about Kabbalah, which I, I know just a tiny bit about, uh, and the different properties of God and the different uh, emanations, and it's almost a, a science in itself. Yeah, yeah. Well, how do you think your book will be received? Uh, do you feel like uh, an apostate to both the religious and those who believe purely in science? No, I actually don't. I, I actually feel that I'm a supporter of both religions. I'm, I'm a rooter of both science and religions. I just am not a, a supporter of those who view their point of view as the only one. Um, but I am a rooter of religion. I am worried that a lot of the wisdom that is in religion is... Uh, is in danger of being lost because they are not religions themselves are not um, tackling 
being relevant in this world today. They're they're denying science, which I think is just crazy. I just uh, that's it's not necessary and it's counterproductive. I think many of the so-called religious versus science debates aren't really about that. They're more about politics and uh, and I think you're right. Philosophies. Yeah. I think that's a good one. yeah. Well, again, the, the book is called Reality's Fugue, Reconciling Worldviews in Philosophy, Religion, and Science. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about these issues in a very thoughtful way. Um, thank you for coming on Indie Voices. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Samuel. Bye.